Good morning. Am I on? If you turn in your Bibles to Colossians 1, we're going to study Colossians 1, uh, verses 27 through 29, which is the middle of a long sentence. Paul writes long sentences. So there's going to be some context needed. Paul wrote a letter to the Colossians. And he's writing here to show them how wonderful Christ is. Colossians 1, 27 through 29. The word of God says, To them, to the saints, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. We do praise you, God, God in Christ, who, who keeps us and presents us blameless. May we worship you this morning as we study your word. May we feel small. May Christ, may the gospel be seen as big. Help me, Father, to be clear. May your word shine forth through proper teaching that accords with Christ. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. History is filled with people who have shaped the way we live and understand the world. Some of them wielded great power, bringing war or making peace. Others made discoveries which impact humanity for good or or evil. These people have changed the world. One example of world changer, of a world changer, the, the people who worked to harness nuclear power. On July 16, 1945, scientists successfully tested an atomic bomb, which is the process of plutonium fission. It's extremely hard to do even to this day. There's only a few countries in the world able with the resources to do it. But that date marked the beginning of the nuclear age, a massive change in the world in terms of energy, military tactics, geopolitics. Do they have the nuke? Any wise nation will ask that before going to war. Uh, Ukraine doesn't have the nuke. They used to. They gave them up. That would have been a factor if, in Russia's decision to attack them. I am certain of it. The man behind the United States atomic testing was J. Robert Oppenheimer. Um, the nuclear, uh, it, nuclear energy, it, it offers great benefits 
to the world, nuclear power. But Oppenheimer, he realized more than anything, more than the benefits, that nuclear power is the most destructive force, man-made force, the world has ever known. Nothing in comparison. Most destructive man-made force. The atomic bomb which fell on Nagasaki, Japan, a month, about a month after it was, it was first successfully tested, it had the equivalent force of 21,000 tons of TNT. It's impossible to fully calculate the number of deaths that it caused. The later developed hydrogen bomb, which was inspired by Oppenheimer's direction of, of nuclear testing, uh, hydrogen bombs have been tested with a force of 50 million tons of TNT. That's 2,380 times the power of a bomb that was dropped on Nagasaki, Japan. Most nuclear weapons today only contain between 100 and 150,000 tons of TNT. They, they need to be smaller because we discovered that with missiles, we can direct and aim um, them at, at, with a smaller payload. So 100 and 150, so over five times the strength of the bomb dropped on Nagasaki, Japan. But these, again, they're modern missile systems, so they have the ability, with, within the time it takes you to drive to Crawford, you can, a, a nuclear missile can travel halfway across the world and hit with pinpoint accuracy. There are 12,500 estimates, estimates of 12,500 nuclear warheads in the world today. Because of his influence, some have called Oppenheimer the most important person in history. He changed the world. Christopher Nolan, the, the new Oppenheimer film, what's out to date, this is not a plug to go watch that, but he, he said that about Oppenheimer. He said he was the most important person who ever lived. He said, by unleashing atomic power, he gave us the power to destroy ourselves, which is true, though we've been killing ourselves for a long time. It's a, it's a power we never had before, and that changes the human equation, end quote. So Oppenheimer helped orchestrate nuclear weapons, and the world has been different ever since. If you're born in it, it doesn't feel that way, but prior, um, the amount of power was not even capable. So some say he deserves that title, most important person in history. As a Christian, I disagree with Nolan, and you should too. There is no one in history who has the, the power and the transforming change that Jesus Christ has brought into the world. Jesus is the central figure of history. He is the most important person of all time. I could show you, we could spend all of our time showing the observable changes that Christ has, you know, the ways that he's impacted the world, the world in the here and now, the physical. Um, for example, Christianity holds a source of morality which has shaped modern ideas of justice in governments, nation states. We could discuss how the church's sanctity of life invented the hospital and untold relief and benevolence efforts. We could talk about how the idea of Christian education, um, Oppenheimer graduated from Harvard. Harvard was founded to train ministers. 
Christ has transformed the world. But Colossians talks about a, a much more fundamental way in which Jesus has changed the world because Colossians 1 shows us how Jesus has changed the world by changing people from the inside. And this kind of change is worth studying because it gets at the very heart of what it means to be a Christian. Where does change really happen? And so the question at the heart of the letter to the Colossians, we're right you know, smack in the middle of the letter here, but the, but the heart of the letter of the Colossians is, what does it mean to be a Christian? What does it take? And Paul's synopsis is to be a Christian, you need Christ. Christ alone, by faith alone. Christ is the supreme one. He is all you need. You don't need to go to anything else. You need Christ. And so I, I pray that we will see that this morning, that Jesus is the most important person and respond with a life of joy, thankfulness, obedience, passion for him. So I have seven reasons why Jesus is the most important person of all time. First, number one, Jesus is. Jesus is. Jesus is a living savior. This is a, a foundational reality to the Christian life. Jesus, in, in this passage he's described and throughout the entire New Testament, Jesus is not described as one dead, but one who is alive, who defeated death. He's described in this passage in present and active terms. He's done something in the past, but he is actively present now, shaping and transforming the world. Never been done before. Prophets and the sages have bones decaying in their tombs, awaiting judgment. Jesus is alive. The world changers of history, like Oppenheimer, they only impact life before death. Their power ends in death. Three, there's a few ways that they might impact things. They might make things a little bit more interesting before death, maybe more enjoyable. They might help delay death, or they might empower death. The, the, the human world changers. So in the arts and the sciences, people have made life more interesting, more enjoyable. They've orchestrated times of peace. Inventions of scientific convenience, undeniable. They have creation, made creations of art that elicit human feeling and emotion. They've made life more enjoyable. They've helped delay death. In, in 1796, Edward Jenner is, is attributed with being the person to develop the, the smallpox vaccine. And, and the, the, that, that discovery has saved hundreds of millions of people. Before the smallpox vaccine was discovered, one in three people that got smallpox died. And world changers have brought death. They've made it more easy, like Oppenheimer. While Oppenheimer watched the, at the Trinity site, he watched the first successful test. He was reminded of a false deity, the Hindu god Vishnu, a quote that you've probably heard, now I am become death the destroyer of worlds. World changers get remembered for bringing death. But they're all dead. And all their innovations offer no eternal value. Robert Oppenheimer is powerless now to impact life here and now. Death 
was his great enemy. He is dead. And by contrast, though, Jesus is alive. And he offers life, life which defeats death. Jesus is, he is a living savior. That has tremendous implications for here and now, right? Many of you have suffered loss, death of a loved one, and there is a void that, that is created when, when loss happens. I can't call them anymore, I can't visit them anymore. There is a void there. But Jesus is, he lives he empowers, he hears, he is here. Jesus is a living savior. He offers life. Number two, Jesus is for the nations. It's a huge point in this passage. How did it happen? How is Jesus for the nations? He was revealed by God, it says. Let's read verse 27. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. Who's the mystery? Christ. The mystery, which is Christ. Jesus is the savior of the peoples. He's the mystery revealed. The savior of all peoples, not just one people. He came to bring, Galatians 3 says he came to bring blessing through the world, blessing to the world. So the glorious riches that God has made known, he's making it known among the Gentiles or the peoples or the nations, the ethnos, that glorious mystery is Christ in them. There was a time when God spoke and revealed himself to one chosen people but he long promised a time of blessing to the entire world and Christ came. Truly God, truly man, he reunited God and man through his life, his sacrificial death. Jesus, the, for the, at the cost of your sin, he, he died, he paid the death of sin, the death because of your sin on the cross and he rose, he rose as a guarantee of our hope, the hope of glory. Jesus came and he is for the nation. So we live in that reality now and it's a blessing. Praise God, every, people from every tribe and tongue and nation need and can hear and believe in Christ. He is not for one singular people, he is for the nations. And that's what Paul's doing. Paul's mission is to the nations. He came to Christ and began to proclaim Christ to the world. And the Colossians, they're the fruit. They're the fruit. Not actually of, we don't know, Epaphras was a person who came to Colossae, but they're the fruit of this mystery. The mystery. They are Gentiles. They are outsiders, but not, not because in Christ, they are grafted in as God's people. In Christ, you can be grafted in as, a, as part of the people of God. So God's revelation has come down and so we now live in a world that is, is, a, is a, a dichotomy. Two, there's two ways. There's, there's proclaimers and there's people that need to hear. There's saved and there is the lost. There are Christians and unbelievers. There's not 
any ethnic barriers preventing you from access to this God. Jesus has changed the world because he is revealed by God as the world's savior. Number three, Jesus is, Jesus is for the nations, Jesus is in you. Jesus is in you. Paul says that that great revealed mystery is that Christ is in you. Because Jesus is, he can be in you. The spirit of Jesus dwelling in you. In this passage, Paul is he's specifically addressing the Colossians, who again, they're Gentiles, right? So in a sense, Paul is highlighting that miracle of salvation, that it has come to the Colossians and not only to one people. But the whole of the passage, if you look at the whole of this passage, including verse 29, it shows that Paul isn't talking about Jesus spatially visiting the Gentiles, through the preaching of the gospel, Jesus is in those who trust in Christ. He hasn't just spatially gone out. He is in those who trust in Christ. And that is revolutionary in terms of relations between God and man. What God would dwell with man? Jesus came down God is far off, God is in the clouds, God is on the mountain, God is the one who you transact with to get what you need. Countless little gods, false deities, have been appeased by humanity, seeking to appease them, so that the God will do something for me. Transaction, the God of the, 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 the rain, I'm gonna pour out an offering to the God and the God will help my crops grow. This God is different. What kind of a God would come down and dwell and indwell man? There is no God like our God. In Christ, God is not merely for me. If I pay this due, he's gonna make my crops grow. He is in me. He is in you. He is not merely for you. He is in you. The world changers of history, they could only shape and mutate the external, right? Atoms, atoms have always been existing. We're gonna seek to split that atom. Oppenheimer, he harnessed a morally neutral power. Mor morally neutral power source. Electric, uh, nu nuclear energy that can electrify a city, can power a city, it could destroy a city. In order to truly make change, the one holding the trigger needs to be changed. That's where true change happens. And Jesus is the only one who changes people from the inside out. He changes the human heart. He stops the warlord from murdering. He stops the God-hater and makes her a child of God. Jesus is in you. Why? Why is Jesus in you? Verse 27 says that, number four here, Jesus is your hope of glory. That's one reason that he's in you. He's in you as your hope of glory. Him we, or the mystery which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. What does that mean? <laughs> Considering 
if you consider all of Colossians, I think what Paul means by hope of glory is that Christ is the one who guarantees you will not be lost. Jesus guarantees that anyone whom he indwells will be in glory with him, even in death. There is hope laid up. There is hope laid up here and now in Christ. Hope laid up, future glory, here and now in Christ. Your hope isn't in the strength or the size of your offering. By the works of the law, no one will please God. Your hope is in Christ who is in you. He is your, your hope, your confident expectation. It's their confident expectation that he will bring you to glory. Jesus is a world changer. He's the only hope of the world. That hope that when death comes knocking, when death comes, it's not a bitter end for you. The sting of death is, is taken away in Christ. Death is the beginning of life forever with God. No matter what happens in this life, in Christ, nothing will separate you from him. Number five, Jesus is your anthem. Jesus is the anthem of the saints. Now this is an application point. What does Jesus do? How, does Je- how did Jesus respond, or how do people respond to Christ in them, the hope of glory? Paul's response is verse 28. Christ revealed, Christ in you, the hope of glory becomes Christ whom we proclaim to everybody. Three times in this passage, him we proclaim, warning everyone, teaching everyone, that we may present everyone. Nobody, there's nobody that doesn't need to hear that message, double negative there. Everyone needs to hear this message. We proclaim this Christ. He becomes the anthem of the saints. That's, the, that's one way that this passage applies to you and me. And it's applied from two realities. So it's two realities that have already been uh, shown. I, or I want to show them in this passage. First, again, he's the revealed Savior. Jesus is for the nations. But the second truth is that Jesus has been revealed only to those who are trusting in Christ. Only those trust, who trust in Christ know that he's the Savior. See that the caveat Paul gives? To them, who's them? The saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles. I think this tells us something about the urgent need for Christians to proclaim Christ. Until someone comes to Christ, Christ is not revealed in a saving way. He's not. Jesus has not revealed himself like that signal, everybody can see and everyone is believing. Immediately, he reveals himself to people and he calls them to proclaim him. People trust in Christ and they become Christian proclaimers. It makes a lot of sense why Jesus then, the last words before he ascended to heaven was, go 
ye therefore. Make disciples. It's a huge, it is, it is central call to what it means to be a Christian. Christians are proclaimers. They tell of Jesus. He is our anthem. We're singing him in the service and in our work and at home. We proclaim Christ. So Paul, he puts those thoughts together. Jesus is revealed by God. Only those trusting in Christ can see that. We've got to tell everybody. Everybody needs to know this. Christ is the Savior. How is this done? It's done with words. It takes words. We proclaim Christ. That word um, for proclaim, it's the most common word in the New Testament for preaching. And I think that is why um, you want a preacher who proclaims Christ. Churches need to proclaim Christ. It takes words. Paul in, in Colossians said, calls the, the proclamation of the cross, it's foolishness to the world. So we preach it, preach foolishness. Preach the foolishness of the cross. No one will know that Jesus is a savior unless they're told that he is a savior. It takes words. And it takes the word shared over coffee and the word shared with your kids and the word shared at work. It takes words. It takes words of wisdom. Wisdom comes from God. It takes wise words, wise words of warning. Isn't it amazing that Christ in you does not negate the need for warning? I think we can be tempted to think that to be in Christ could in some way involve indifference to Christ, as if Jesus is additional to what I do with the rest of my life. He is not, he is everything. But we can think that, we can think Jesus has got, you know, I'm trusting in him, so I don't need warnings, I don't need to be in the Bible, I don't need Christian fellowship, I don't need to fight sin, I don't need repentance, I've got grace, I'll live my life the way I want. It's not taught in the Bible. We need to warn, proclaim Christ with warnings. The most central warning, the most central warning in the Bible is the warning about how central Christ is. Don't trust in money, don't trust in comfort, trust in Jesus. Warnings keep us from veering away from Jesus. We do this to the lost, we do this to the saints. There's never a time when warning is not needed. We need to preach warnings. It also requires wise words of teaching. Okay, see, we're here in verse 28, and we proclaim warning everyone, teaching everyone. Wise words of teaching. Isn't it amazing? The reality of Christ in you does not mean that your, your mind instantly gets filled with all of the knowledge and all you need for all of life. Christ in you doesn't mean that data port plugged in and everything, the most foundational thing, yes, Christ is the center. Sometimes we think that the Christian life should be that way, but it's not. God didn't design it that way. God designed that thing so that we would proclaim Christ with warnings and with teaching. We need to be taught about Christ. That's why we gather. We need to be taught the truth. 
So we live and we're struggling now to know Christ as we live this life, reminding, being reminded of who he is, being reminded of the truth about who he is. We need to be taught about Christ. And the journey of the Christian life, it involves warning and teaching. Why do we warn and we teach? What's the goal? Jesus is your goal. That's number six. Jesus is your goal. And that's another application. That's another application of this passage. We proclaim him, that's one thing. Someone so foundational like Christ is also the one we proclaim, is also the goal. He is our goal. The goal of proclaiming Christ is that everyone would be presented mature, mature in Christ. And that's another critical thing to see. What you see in here, what you don't see is that it's all about me. It's not all about me in Christ. We don't preach a gospel of self-help. We don't preach a gospel of best life here and now, here and now is what matters. Yes, life with Christ is your best life now. Absolutely. No better life. But the goal of proclaiming Christ, warning, and teaching is to what? To be presented. To who? To God. Not to yourself. Not for yourself. Presented everyone mature in Christ. Christ in you is who we proclaim. We work to proclaim Christ. And we do it through warning and we do it through teaching. And as we do this, as we go through this life together, we mature and we grow. And the ultimate goal of all of that is Christ. Jesus is your goal. My life is yours. The presented offering to Christ. This is how anyone glorifies God. Present your life as an offering, a sacrifice to God. All of him, all of him, all of you is for him. Jesus is the goal. And God in Christ gets the glory from your maturity. If the goal of the Christian life is that you would be presented mature in Christ, to God in Christ, how is that accomplished? That leads to point seven, the final one. Number seven, Jesus is empowering you. If we were to end this passage at verse 28, we would be left with two realities. So Paul says that Christ in you, hope, the hope of glory, Christ is your hope. And then he says, him we proclaim. We proclaim him. Enter verse 29, Paul says, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy, which he powerfully works within me. So, if the question is, Or the, I think the question for us is, is how do I, how do I understand my, my effort, 
my effort with the work of Christ in me. I just told you in verse 27 that Christ in you is your hope. You're not trusting in yourself. You're not trusting in your efforts. You're not trusting in your works to, to be brought to glory. You're trusting in Christ. And then Paul says, him we proclaim, we, we warn, we teach. So, so how, wh- how do we understand this balance of human working with Christ in me? Remember the, the errors that I mentioned, that we can be deceived to simply think that we can live a spiritual life of, what I would say, laziness, spiritual life of laziness. Jesus is my safety net, so I just, I rest and I live in that place, but, but that's not true. Why, why does Paul say I'm toiling? Jesus has changed Paul's life, so he is toiling, struggling to proclaim Christ. The Christian life is, is a life of sweat. And on the other hand, there's, there's a, another error of thinking that this is just gonna come naturally to me. Plug it in and I will instantly instantly grow. But that's a, that's a life, a lie as well, right? The Christian life is a process of growth through warning and teaching and Jesus is using means to grow and mature us. So how do we understand that? How do we understand I am in Christ, nothing can separate me from the love of Christ and yet I'm toiling and I'm struggling. If you stop at verse 28, you, could, you would say, you, Paul, you could sum up Paul's, Paul's words in something like this. Christ is in me and so I work. Christ is in me and so I work. But Paul doesn't just say that. He says, more. When you include verse 29, I think you could sum up what Paul says is, as Christ is in me, so I work with the power he works within me. Christ is in me. He has opened my eyes. I trust in him. Christ is in me. I work to make him known. I work. He is the hope of the world. Everyone needs to hear this. All of the Christian life, warning, teaching, struggling, striving. I work. I gotta share this. Offer your life as a sacrifice to God. But the work with which I work is empowered by Christ in me. So the conclusion is, I think, combining the, the question of Christ in me, I'm working, is that Christ is the one who saves and sustains the Christian. All of the Christian life is consumed and overseen and empowered by Christ. So Jesus is the world changer. He changes people. He saves and he sustains with his power. He is alive. He is for the nations. He is in those who trust in him. He is the hope of eternal life. He is the anthem of the saints. He is the goal and he is empowering your life. 
He will keep you to the end. Jesus is the true world changer. Has he changed your world? Robert Oppenheimer provided the world with a power source that can be used for good or evil. Jesus changes people from the inside out. Whole different scale of power. Whole different scale of change. Has he changed you? He gives true purpose, true meaning by bringing people back to God. Jesus is bringing people back to God. He is the hope of the world. Is he your hope? Let's hope in him, trust in him. This body, may we be a light, a beacon, transformed by Christ, empowered by Christ, proclaiming Christ to this community. Trust in Christ. He is the hope of the world. Let's pray. We love you, Lord. You are not far off. You brought us near by the blood of Christ. And so we praise you and we thank you. May we live for you. May our whole lives be enraptured by Christ. May he be on our hearts and in our lips and in our deeds and in our words. May he be glorified in this body. In Christ's name we pray, amen.